0: Well, hello, listener. How are you? I don't want to presume to know what you're thinking or feeling or how you are, but the way I'm picturing it, you're just sort of there. Like, what am I listening to? Is this an audio book? Is this a voicemail? Am I somehow hearing a Marco Polo? What is this? What's happening? I have news for you. It is I, Jen Jackson, your very best friend coming to you through a podcast. That's right. I've done it. I have made a podcast. And this podcast is for you. That's right. For Shay. By Jen. A podcast for my very best friend, an audience of one. Now listen, I want you to know that the path to a podcast was weird and windy. That's the best way to describe it. It was weird and windy. The original idea came to me in early 2020. In fact, it was in January, 2020. And I want you to know that when I thought of the idea, I thought, my God, I have finally come up with something that wasn't last minute. Picture it. January, 2020. Now, this was pre-COVID. COVID was like an idea. It was like this thing that was maybe happening in a foreign country. I don't know if you remember that. We were all still crowding into bars and restaurants. We were all just like touching each other, hugging, high-fiving, shaking hands. Just like brushing something out of your friend's hair. What is this? You've got schmutz in your hair, you know? Nobody was wearing masks. We were having concerts, having people over for drinks, just strangers into the house. Huge parties, just gathering together, just grabbing food with our bare hands. It was such a time. It's Almost so bizarre that I cannot even picture it. But that was when I came up with the idea, the concept, the very notion that I should write a book. I should write another book. This one, the fiction, the murder mystery that we have been talking about for years. I was like, my God, Jen, you can actually do this. You can actually get this one done. And... I I thought I was a genius and let me tell you something I did I wrote two chapters two full chapters I was like I am getting ahead of this thing but let me tell you the thing about writing a murder mystery uh, about your best friend being murdered and you solving the murder there's this thing that you have to do and that is that you have to write about the murder you have to write about the moment where you find out that your best friend has been murdered Which was so difficult that I literally couldn't do it. I couldn't. And it wasn't like, no, this is too sad. Like, I literally couldn't put myself into that frame of mind. I couldn't even go to that dark place. And I think that you should actually be pretty comfortable with that, to be honest. If you were like, if I was just like, yeah, it was really easy. And I just wrote about the moment and, you know, and how horrible it was. And here we are. I would feel a little bit uncomfortable. But yeah, I couldn't do it. And the idea had to get shelved. Such a bummer. Because those first two chapters are dope. I even knew like who did it and why they did it. I knew about like where you were and why Richard looked like maybe he did it for a couple of chapters. I am telling you, if I had just gotten past that bad part, I could have done it. Although there's no happy ending. At the end of a murder mystery, it's just like mystery solved. That person's in jail. I have to continue my life without my best friend. It's horrible. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to myself. I couldn't do that to you. So murder mystery shelved next. What do I do? I can't do an audio book. What book would it be? You know? So that's where I came up with the idea of a podcast. So I shopped around for all of these apps and these websites. And I finally found that Squarespace actually has a, a template for podcasts. I found that out because I'm a podcast listener. Obviously, most podcasts are sponsored by Squarespace. But, you know, what kind of podcast is it? So I'm looking for like some kind of inspiration. And I fell on this American life. I don't know if you listen to this American life. I really don't. But let me tell you, it was my first podcast. There's something about this American life that is just so soothing. It's like hot chocolate when it's really cold outside. There's just something about Ira Glass's soothing voice. Just, it's just American life. I'm Ira Glass. It's just perfect. It's the perfect format. It's the perfect, perfect podcast. And I thought, perfect. You now, with, with This American Life, the format is each week they have a theme. They do several stories on that theme. I thought, you know, stick with a classic. I can absolutely do that. But, you know, since we're, you know, doing a story here, instead of it being theme, we could, or instead of it being like stories on a theme, it could be chapters in the story, right? As it turns out, that's a really hard format to keep. You know, I don't have reporters out in the field that are like, you know, recording stories that fit into a theme that made me feel really trapped. I had a really hard time with it. I was like reading stories from like internet blogs. It was boring. I'm telling you, it was boring. And I had to shelf it again. And then, I mean, 2020 just kept happening. It felt like every couple of months it'd be like another earth-shattering blow and you know it was very hard to be creative you know at first i was i was rocking and rolling i was really going and then it was just like no nothing and then it occurred to me you know you and i send each other marco polos almost every single day sometimes multiple multiple pl- plural times a day and almost every time we sign off we say the same thing I felt like there was something else that I wanted to tell you. I felt like there was something else. You know, sometimes you kind of, I felt like there was something else. Or sometimes I sing it like I felt like there was something else. But the thing is, is that there's always going to be something else. I mean, if you really think about it, because we're best friends, right? Um, Now, I'm picturing a scene in a movie called Prelude to a Kiss, which I know you're very familiar with because I feel you we're in this stage version in high school for like 10 minutes there where, um, let's see, Alec Baldwin is married to Meg Ryan, except it's not Meg Ryan. She's like this old man. And he's like talking about how, you know, you, you, you remember stories and, or you remember something that you want to tell your person like all day long and it just kind of stays in your head, um, until you get to tell that person. And, you know, I think that the story that he's referring to is about fainting goats am I crazy? That's in that movie, right? Well, I I think it is. And of course, if I know you, you're screaming it at me, but it doesn't matter what movie it's from. That's the thing with us is that we're not in the same state. We don't live in the same house. We don't talk to each other all day long. So even when you think that you remember everything that you wanted to say, there's always going to be something else because you're just constantly storing that information. So I thought that's what we should do. We should like, Have little gab sessions. Obviously, it's just going to be me talking. So (laughs) it'll be like a little like girls night or a ladies who lunch, you know, just depends on what time of day I'm recording. But I promise you that I will always start with a cocktail because that's what you do. And then, you know, we'll get to the meat. We'll get to the entree. And then like every good meal, every episode is going to end with tea time because it soothes the soul. It does, I promise. So here we have it. You've got it. In your ears, me making a podcast for you. You've got a podcast. Guess what? You even have a theme song. We're best friends, best friends, best friends the end. Hey, man, I told you that we had a theme song. Oh, my God. That is so energetic. Every time I hear it, I'm like, whoa, that's very energetic. It reminds me of something that you might hear in, like, like a Lindsay Lohan movie from the early aughts. You know, like, you can just picture her. She's, like, sort of pretending to play the guitar. She's wearing, like, low-rise jeans with sparkly details on the back pockets. Maybe a white wife beater with like a vest, but it's really a halter top, a skinny scarf. You can picture it if you really think about it, just singing that song, though. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to For Shay by Jen, a podcast by me, Jen, for my best friend Shay, an audience of one. And this is our very first episode, and I hope that you're as excited as I am, because I'm really excited. Obviously, this is a labor of love, and I honestly cannot wait for you to respond <laughs> when you hear this first episode I'm sight oh my god well anyway like I said every episode is going to start with cocktail hour so let's start cocktail hour that was just a little cocktail hour jingle I'm not completely married to it uh, maybe we do a different one every single episode who knows but that was just a little I'll drink to that uh, Today, I'll be drinking Angostura bitters with a soda water back for cocktail hour. <laughs> um, now, before you come for me, this is a real cocktail because I'm, I've drinking the Ango as an undiluted shot. I know that that sounds crazy, uh, but of course, well, I'm not going to say of course because I'm a cocktail nerd. So if. You know this, then I'm actually really impressed. Angostura bitters was created in uh, Trinidad and Tobago in a little town that used to be called Angostura. It was supposed to be a digestive tonic to help with tummy troubles, specifically tropical tummy troubles. And it wasn't until later that it became a little flavoring additive for cocktails. Um, kind of a funny story. Uh, for a very long time, up until fairly recently, Ango wasn't even meant to be alcoholic Um, you know because you use so little of it just a couple of dashes that uh, they didn't you know put any alcohol taxes on it so of course some hipster bar I'm guessing in Brooklyn because that's just how they are uh, started a little bar where they had um, shots of bitters behind the bar on tap so you could do just like a full two ounce shot of, you know, of Ango, of Payshodes of Regan's, you know, of any of those. Um, And they were just making money hand over fist because they didn't have to pay alcohol taxes. Anyway, uh, you know, the liquor board caught wind of that and put the ixnay on that as soon as they possibly could. But... I've already done my shot and I I did I drank it because I had I had I had tummy problems. My tummy hurts today. You wouldn't come for somebody with a tummy ache, would you? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. But as you do, I have my little soda water back. So I'm just gonna take a little sip of that. So today for cocktail hour, I wanted to talk to you about I you don't know, a conversation that I kind of tried to bait you into a couple of months ago. Um back when this was uh, a This American Life sort of themed podcast. Um, and the question was, had you ever had a Christina Chamberlain? Now, obviously, the idea of Christina Chamberlain is not the specific Christina Chamberlain that I became best friends with in my late teens, um, the idea is Christina Chamberlain is like a concept and that is the kind of person who you meet and um, you don't just want to be their friend like you kind of want to be them like you're just so taken by them they're just so magical to you that you kind of just want to start talking like them and acting like them and dressing like them and you know It kind of makes sense because, and I think this is especially uh, for women and, um, you know, I don't want to make a harsh judgment, but as a woman, I can say that this is really common, that especially in those years where you're really trying to find out who you are, you just kind of start trying on personalities um, and genres even, uh, like their outfits. You know, you're just trying to figure out who you are. And um, it can happen several times. I know that myself, I made a couple of big character changes. Um, You know, I was like this little, you know, choir nerd. And then I was this like skater stoner girl. (laughs) And then I was a born again Christian. (laughs) And then I was like this hippy dippy crystals person, you know, who like wore the crystal necklaces and everything, burned incense. I was that girl in high school too. Um, And then of course I became like musical theater girl. Um, but you know, you just try on those different personalities and see which one fits. I think that, you know, that's just like all a part of finding yourself, you know? And another thing that gave me the sense that a lot of women had experienced this was a little show called my so-called life. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched my so-called life because I know that I've recommended it to you in the past. Um, I highly recommend it if you haven't. Um, one thing, and and I I keep mentioning this, that you're younger than I am, but if you want to get a sense of what it was like when I was in high school, you should watch this show. (laughs) It just perfectly encapsulates that time. Um, it was, I want to say 1993. We were very much feeling Pearl Jam. We were very much having our Nirvana moment. We were very much doing, you know, mixing patterns of flannel, brightly colored hair. Everything is baggy. That was the definite uh, moment that we were having. (laughs) Pop culture there. Grunge. Coffee. Coffee was giant in 1993. I don't know. It was just so, coffee shops were just like, that it plays to be seen, you know, having a little coffee in a cardboard cup. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting way off track here. My So God Life is a show that is, um, the main character is named Angela Chase. She's a basic sophomore in high school. She goes to school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, she goes to public school. It's called Liberty High School. Her mom is named Patty. Her dad is named Graham. Patty and Graham are high school sweethearts. Patty is just something else she was a a cheerleader in high school just like beautiful and she's just like this perky blonde you know she owns her own business she's very much into pantsuits she's very Hillary Rodham Clinton in the early 90s you know I don't know if you have this picture in your mind's eye but Hillary used to wear these headbands these thick sort of like puffy, pillowy headbands with just like the short bangs. Oh my God, we were having such a time in the 90s with fashion. It was a whole thing. Well, anyway, Angela's a sophomore in high school and over the summer, she has met and become very close friends with somebody named Raeann Graff. And from an entertainment perspective, from an outsider's perspective, uh, Ann Graff is arguably the coolest person at Liberty High. I would say that. I said that then and I say it now. She's just very, very cool. She's got no filter. You know, she's just really, really funny. She's outgoing, energetic. She's sexually active. She owns her sexuality. Um, She does have a tiny bit of a drinking problem and drugs, but hey, who doesn't? I'm kidding. Um, But you know, all the boys love her. The girls think she's really cool or they're intimidated by her because she's kind of a badass. And somehow rayanne and angela have become best friends just very best friends in the very first episode um rayanne gets her like a fake id gets her into this like nightclub so that they can see a band called buffalo tom and also convinces angela to dye her hair bright bright red like fire engine red beautiful it looks gorgeous it's like it's perfect for her face um, and of course, uh, Angela is played flawlessly by Claire Danes. It's the role that made her famous, her and the ever problematic Jared Leto as the cutest boy on TV ever. To this day, I will have this crush until I die. Jordan Catalano. Anyway, so Ryan and Angela are best friends and, and, you know, the series just kind of follows their friendship and like, you know, what they were doing, what they're up to. And, um, You know, like, it's the the same thing. Angela just sort of kind of becomes Rayanne. Like, she she sticks a lot to her own principles, but those two are very, very close. Um, I don't know if you remember this from shows in the 90s, but um, do you remember how prevalent very special episodes were? (laughs) Do you remember how, like, especially on shows where children or teenagers were involved, there's going to be an episode about drugs or drinking or... Fighting or racism or like sex, <laughs> like there's gonna be a very special episode regardless of what show you're watching. It, it they even did this with comedies. I remember very distinctly that there was a very special episode of Blossom, Blossom, where Maya and like started the show by dancing in front of a white screen, and they did a very special episode. Anyway, okay, so the very special episode of My So-Called Life featured a gun in school. There was a gun in school. (laughs) That's just my dog. We're hoping she's going to be quiet in a minute. Um, There was a gun in school. Now, unfortunately, in the world that you and I live in now, a gun in school is a much different character than it was back in 1993. But this gun did very little. This was a bit part in this episode. Um, Basically, somebody had a gun, it went off in the hallway, the bullet went into a locker, pierced a can of soda, and that is the extent of the gun in this school. However, everybody loses their collective minds about it. The students are absolutely convinced that they all could have been murdered. What if I was standing in front of that locker? You know, they're starting to offer counseling for the students about the gun and the parents are, oh my gosh, what is this? What now? Are we going to have to have a metal detector at our school? Who's going to protect our kids? They're going to be shot to death at school. I mean, it's such an innocent time. (laughs) I mean, we're pre-Columbine. We are pre-Parkland. We are pre-Sandy Hook. This is not... This is innocent and it's sad it's sad everything that we've been through how jaded i am to a gun in a school right anyway in this episode um the administration of liberty high sort of has this like town hall and they invite all of the parents of the liberty high students to come and you know it's hard to tell what forum they're having it just seems like they have them there to yell like, oh, you guys just come sit in this auditorium and you can all scream at us. And that's kind of what they do. I mean, they have absolutely no order. The parents are just sort of taking turns standing up and screaming. Patty Chase, Angela's mom, is just overwhelmed. You can tell this is just, it's loud. She's just having a really hard time articulating her feelings. But the one person who is actually able to say what everybody else in the room is thinking is Ray Graff's mother, Amber alone who is um, an amazing character herself. It's unfortunate that we don't see her very often in the series. And the series is only one, uh, one season long, which is also very unfortunate. Um, Amber Vallone just has that quality, that it girl quality that Ray Ann has, but like as an adult, right? Just uninhibited. Says whatever she wants, no filter. Um, beautiful, interesting, just very rock and roll and loose and huggy and just like so sweet. And, um, you know, Patty Chase very conservative in comparison but they do meet and they have this amazing conversation which i think completely sums up this idea that i'm trying to tell you about so i am going to uh go ahead and play that for you i'm patty too hi angela's mom
1: oh Wow, Angela, <laughs> O'Brien oh, talks about her all the time she's in love with her. She wants to be Angela. <laughs> okay, gosh, they,
0: they seem so different. <laughs> oh, you know, kids, they find one person and they just can't get enough of them. It's like being in love. Oh, my God, I not have to have sex.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> no, don't you remember? There'd be, like, this one person who had, like, perfect hair for perfect
0: breasts, or they were
1: just so funny, and and you just wanted to eat them up. Just live, live in their bed and just be them. It's like everybody else was in black and white, and that person was in color. Well, Rayanne thinks Angela is in color. Major color.
0: <laughs> so that's the conversation that they have where and i honestly it's it's just beautiful the way that it's articulated there just you know like having that friend that you don't just want to be friends with you kind of want to be them and you know of course i had that friend i've had that friend several times in my life and you know i i think that um you know i i was asking you about it to see who yours was because i guess i just assumed that everybody had this experience when I was rewatching watching uh, my so-called life, I realized that Christina Chamberlain was not my first Christina Chamberlain. And I think that that, I mean, that was just a pattern in my life where I would, you know, I would meet somebody and I'd be like, oh, this person is very cool. I'm going to be this person now. Um, I think my first one was Jennifer Stover's And that was when I was in second grade, maybe th- I think it was third grade at Whittier High School. Jennifer Stover's now I'm going to have to keep reminding you that we were all eight years old because everything I'm about to say, I could be saying about somebody that I met in college, but well, not everything, <laughs> but uh, Jennifer Stofers was just like this cute little white girl. She had curly blonde hair, but she was definitely a fashion icon. I'm not even kidding. She was very Debbie Gibson. I remember that she had uh, like this sort of denim jumper and it wasn't like um, overalls. It was like overall, it was like an overall skirt situation. Like, you know, and it was like a pencil skirt. It was kind of like hip hugging. The zipper came from the very bottom of the dress all the way to the top. And it, and, and she wore it with like this kind of flat black hat. You know, I can probably put pictures of Debbie Gibson in the show notes because what I'm describing sounds like Debbie Gibson. And she was definitely like, she, de- she definitely dressed like Debbie Gibson. I remember her most iconic outfit. Um, she had this purple, um, like uh, ribbed tank top. I mean, we all have those, right? That's like, they sell them at Target for like $8. But she had the purple ribbed tank top and she was wearing it as a skirt okay so she's got this like purple pencil skirt thing happening and then she has like a yellow Letterman sweater like a letterman's jacket I guess it was a jacket and the letters on the letter sweater (laughs) letter sweater uh were purple it I would never think to wear an outfit like that I would never think to turn a tank top into a skirt. Like this is just what I'm talking about, about, and not only that, but the boys were in love with her. Jennifer Stouffer's was like the, I mean, I used to go to this babysitter and she had three sons and the youngest son, Nathan was the same age as me. So we were in the same grade and the way he would talk about Jennifer. Oh my gosh. Are you still friends with Jennifer? Did you talk to her? Like I'm in love with her. She's so hot. I'm going to marry her. Like, We're all eight years old. Remember. (laughs) And somehow, and for some reason, Jennifer wanted to be friends with me. And it was, it was really funny because when we were at school, we acted like these little teenagers, you know, we'd walk around and we'd gossip and we'd sit under the tree and we'd like talk about other little girls. And then, um, whenever I would go to her house or she'd come to my house, we would then we would act like children. We, oh my gosh! Jennifer had the biggest Barbie collection I've ever seen. I'm not even kidding you. It was in the living room first of all, which is a whole thing. But when you walked into the living room, there were these two trunks. One trunk was just full of Barbies, and the other trunk was full of clothes. I am talking human-sized shoe boxes full of Barbie shoes. It. I've never been more jealous of anybody 's collection of anything in my life, and to this day, I can remember exactly what it looked like and how I felt when those trunks were opened. But the thing is that uh Jennifer and i we we parted ways, um, obviously, or you would have met her by now um, after my dad got injured, um, I actually fell behind in schoolwork, and Whittier had the brilliant idea. To hold me back a year. Um, not send me to another school or, you know, anything like that. Nothing that would make any sense. No, um, I had actually gone to uh, to school. I went to first grade when I was five. And uh, so they were like, oh, well, she's the right age to be held back anyway. So they held me back. I went back to third grade while all of my friends went into fourth grade <laughs> right in front of them. <laughs> so they saw me on the like third grade playground or whatever um like the primary playground and then they had like the secondary it wasn't called secondary it was called something else i can't remember but anyway um jennifer obviously was far too cool to be seen with somebody that was held back a year so we parted ways um and then the next time that i had a christina chamberlain or a ray Graf, it was in high school it was my sophomore year of high school, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the reason, one of the reasons why my so-called life really like resonated with me was because I was a sophomore in high school when it came out, so I was basically Angela Chase. Um, anyway, in high school, I was a sophomore, and I will never forget this day When this new girl shows up, it was just like a movie. She's like really, really pretty and like kind of a tough bad girl. She wore like these really dark lipstick and like she smoked cigarettes and she was just really cool. Her name's Harmony Bergman. And I mean, like Harmony and I became best friends almost from the jump. And she was definitely my Rayon Graff for sure. Like, she was more like my Tyler Durden. Like, she was the she was the devil on my shoulder. She... <laughs> um, I had my first drink with her. I smoked weed for the first time around her. You know what's really crazy is... Her and my mom used to smoke cigarettes together. Because I didn't smoke cigarettes until later. But Harmony and my mom smoked. So when she'd see the night at my house, her and my mom would go outside for a smoke. Crazy. I, I just... It's that, that, that whole thing where there's like the people who, when they were like in junior high or something would like, not junior high, but like high school would like have a drink with their parents and they would just like rip open a beer right in front of their mom. I always thought that was nuts. But anyway, um, so she and my mom would smoke cigarettes together. You know, I, um, there was once, (laughs) there was once that she was staying at my house and I think that her and my mom had gone outside to smoke and I like was writing in my diary when she came back and um <laughs> she came back in she saw that I was writing in the diary she's like let me see that and I was like no absolutely not like it's just my diary and she goes Jen I'm your best friend I'm gonna find out eventually and I was so shocked I was so like caught off guard off guard off guard and I, I I gave it I handed it over I was like yeah I guess we're best friends now wild really <laughs> I didn't know and the thing was, is that like, you know, and I remember back to hearing that episode, My So-Called Life, and thinking that the crazy thing to me is that like, I identified with Angela. I thought, I thought myself that like, weird, nerdy kid, and Ann is the coolest girl. That was how I felt about Harmony. And I thought, oh, wow, Ann really likes Angela too. And that was, that was my moment with Harmony. Then again... Of course, senior year, Harmony had gotten herself into trouble for the last time and her parents made her go to Mesa High. Um, And I never spoke to her again. Um, We didn't keep in touch. We never even like wrote a note or called each other. It was just, it was just over. And then, I mean, of course, came Christina Chamberlain, the Christina Chamberlain, the, you know, the namesake of this whole thing. And I used to think that I really, really wanted to be that for somebody. In fact, when I asked you if you'd ever had one before, I kind of thought that your answer was going to be me, that I was your Christina Chamberlain. And let me just tell you, like, before we get all up in my ego about how, you know, how could you think it was you? You always used to tell me about how intimidating I was and how cool you thought I was when you were in high school. I thought, Maybe I was your Christina Chamberlain, but the real truth is that like you don't want to be that for somebody. I mean, you know, it sounds cool and everything to be so cool that somebody likes you so much that they kind of want to be you. But at the same time, who's Jennifer Stovers? Where where is she at? Where's Harmony Bergman? I barely talked to Christina. Those people aren't you know your maid of honor. Those people aren't going to be the person who you call when you get fired from Applebee's and you need somebody to make you laugh and who absolutely does make you laugh for the rest of the night. That's not your best friend. That's like your crush, right? That's like a, it's like a random celebrity that you, (laughs) that you're suddenly obsessed with. That's not your best friend. So while I think it's very important, to have a Christina Chamberlain, to look back and be like, that was my Christina Chamberlain phase. Oh my God, if she ever knew how I was using her name? I, I mean, I'm good with never having been one. At least I don't think I was. So here's to that. I'm going to finish this drink and we'll be right back. This episode of Four Shape by Jen is brought to you by peanut butter sandwiches with apple slices that's right i said peanut butter sandwiches with apple slices in the sandwich the first time i ever had anything like this was when i had the peanut butter sandwich from the yellow dog cafe in orlando florida somehow i was never able to find that restaurant again but what they had was peanut butter house made preserves and slices of apple and chocolate shavings on the sandwich it was remarkable now i tried to make that at home but couldn't replicate it but one thing stuck peanut butter honey slices of honey crisp Honey crisp. Even the name of that apple sounds delicious. And it is. You get the tart. You get the crunch. I'm telling you, it is a perfect sandwich. Now, this isn't a real product and this isn't a real podcast. So I'm not going to be able to offer you any kind of offer code. You're just going to have to take my word for it. Peanut butter sandwiches with apple slices. Try it today. Welcome back to Four Shape by Jen. We've reached the entree portion of our gals night in and today we are having ramen. I know it's a struggle meal but you know what we're probably going to be having struggle meals for a little while. Nevertheless I'm going to tell you what the recipe is because I think it's really really good <laughs> not only did it cost about a dollar to make but it is very 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 tasty so i have chili flavored ramen because i'm a vegetarian but i think that you can probably have whatever flavor you want but i'm gonna say that the chili flavored one is the best one i'm just gonna say that and you know you cook the ramen in one pot and then on the other pan you've got some sliced sweet vidalia onions that were sauteing in butter until they become fragrant and translucent Crack two eggs into the uh, the little uh, Vidalia onion moment that you're having in this pan here. You strain off the ramen and just as the eggs start to cook, you dump them into the hot ramen. You stir it up and you put that in there with the little flavor packet and you stir that up, put a little bit of Asiago cheese. I've topped mine with arugula because I think that not only is it bougie, but arugula is the best lettuce, hands down. I am not a big leaf person, but I love those leaves and I don't understand how nature got them to taste that way. It's like somebody seasoned the leaves while they were growing out of the ground. I'm telling you, it's really, really good. It costs about a dollar to make and I'm really pleased with myself. Not to mention it's a little bit of a breakfast moment and I really, really, really like eggs. I think that that goes about saying eggs are wonderful. So that's what we're having for entree today and... Today for our entree and for our very first episode, our very first, very special episode, I would like to talk about something that is the very crux of our friendship all 97 years of it. And that is romantic comedies. I mean, honestly, when you think about us, when you think about our friendship and all of the things that we have done and seen together and all of like our greatest moments, I would say that one of the top five is seeing romantic comedies together. We've seen pretty much all of them, right? <laughs> we've I mean we we've gone to the movie so like seen some thrillers, you know, some like natural disasters. We don't really see scary movies, we've seen a couple of indie movies. I mean, against my better judgment to put my eye holes on two movies that were obviously Oscar winners, very well made, but I never ever plan to see ever again both Precious and 12 Years a Slave. Isn't that weird? Now, there are some movies that you're just like, no, no, I know that this is very, very good, but I will never experience this again. This this has changed me as a person. But romantic comedies are just, they're just great. Why do you love romantic comedies? Why, why do we love them so much? Is it because they're like predictable? <laughs> cuz they're like so predictable, right? You know how this is going to go. There's a formula that every single romantic comedy follows, right? Is it cuz it's about love? Is it because it's funny? It's a romantic comedy, not just a romance movie. I don't know what it is, but the formula is definitely part of it, right? There's just something about it. It's like I think that a lot of people would compare romantic comedies to something really indulgent, like um I don't know, like chocolate or like brownies or ice cream or something just something really decadent just like oh I just gotta really just have this really decadent thing but I don't think it's like that I don't I think that romantic comedies are comfort it's like something that is not gonna make you feel sad or angry it's not gonna make you feel any like negative type of way it's just gonna really just tick all of those boxes and it's just gonna be the perfect satisfying thing you at that time, like warm buttered toast. I stand by that. And that kind of made me feel like I wanted toast. (laughs) I mean, if if you do too, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and pause while you go make some toast. It's up to you anyway. So I tried to break down romantic comedy and like all of the different moments in the romantic comedy and why they're important. Right. So first, of course, Um, as told to us by that delightful old man in The Holiday, the first thing that you have is meet cute, right? They have to meet. Although there is that whole like thing of the the couple that's always known each other. What's that movie that I really love? I think that it was on either ABC Family or Lifetime, but I still love it. It's called like Lucky Seven. He was her bagel guy. She always went there for a bagel and a coffee before she went to her job that she hated as a lawyer. But sometimes and more often than not, they, you know, they meet in a way that if they both hadn't been there right there at that time, they never would have met. Like maybe they went to some delightful little coffee shop and she ordered an oat milk latte and he ordered a whole milk latte. And then they accidentally got mixed up. So they have to meet outside to switch coffees. And, you know, maybe she's put her phone number on the coffee or in the wedding planner, how they met was like she almost got hit by a trash can, right? <laughs> so the mute cute is, has gotten out of the way. Now they have to perform a task together. Like something that they absolutely have to do and it absolutely has to be between the two of them, right? Again, the wedding planner, <laughs> they have to plan his wedding, right? Because he's the groom and she's the wedding planner. Gross. Every time I talk about that, I hate it. Um, or when Harry and Sally have, they have to travel the country together. They like drive across country in that car. Um, you know, they have to do this thing together and that's the most, well, it's one of the most important parts of the movie. It's the meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes. It's the part where, you know, they get to know each other and it's where they fall in love, Right. And then they have to, like, there's some obstacle. There, it, there's a reason why they can't be together. Again, the wedding planner. It's because he's engaged to another woman. <laughs> Gross! And there was nothing wrong with that other woman either. She was just lovely. Um, but there's a reason. There's a reason why they're falling in love and can't be together. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a movie. It would just be like, oh, these two people met and they like each other and now they're together. Right? But then comes that moment where it shifts from just like this you know just like this really this normal plot line to the most emotional sweeping energetic frantic part of the movie that's the part where they realize that they're absolutely in love and they absolutely have to be together it always does this it always switches into like super high gear right it's sudden it has to be right now sometimes there's an airport involved sometimes it's a public speaking situation but like I said it's always always frantic and I'm sorry for the underscoring here but you also have to realize that one of the more important parts of this moment is the sweeping emotional music underneath because that music is what makes you realize as the viewer that you want what they want. You want them to be together just as bad as they want to be together, right? So there they are. Suddenly he realizes I love her. I have to stop whatever she's about to do from happening. So he goes outside and he can't find a taxi and we've been through this before there are no taxis or maybe the street is full of taxis because there's a huge traffic jam in the middle of New York City what's he gonna do how's he gonna get there is there somebody with a bike is there somebody with a scooter hey kid get off the skateboard we're gonna take the skateboard we're whipping through people you know in the middle of Times Square but he has to get to her he has to get to her right now because he loves her and if he doesn't tell her right now she's gonna leave Maybe he's even gotten to her. Maybe they're there and she's on one side of the road and he's on the other side of the road and they're screaming at each other, I love you. I can't live without you. This is forever. I'm sorry for everything I said. I love you. I want to be with you for the rest of my life. It's always the same. And I know that I probably borrowed quite a bit off of the old uh, wedding toast there but it is. It's always the same. It's always frantic. Why is it so frantic? What's with all the frantic urgent urgency? Why does it have to be like that? <laughs> Why does it? Has that ever happened in real life? Has anybody ever I honestly with the amount of times that I um have seen this in a romantic comedy, really thought that this was going to be something that I was going to end up being a part of? I'm not even kidding you. It's like, remember how often you thought that, you know, you were going to encounter quicksand in your life? Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but I mean, it was in every cartoon. It was in uh, The never ending Story. I really thought that I was going to encounter quicksand in my life. I really worried about the Bermuda Triangle. I definitely thought that, you know, I was going to have one of those romantic comedy running moments. And I can tell you that I do feel a little bit ripped off that I never got it does it happen? Has it ever, ever happened? So what I'm going to do here is something a little bit, you know, unconventional. I'm going to play a clip from another podcast. Uh, My favorite podcast, as I've mentioned several times in this episode, This American Life, where they discuss just that.
1: There was another story we heard about somebody running to win love, which actually kind of paralleled the run that happens at the end of Neil's favorite rom com, When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally, the way it goes is that it's New Year's Eve. Harry's wandering around the streets of New York, and he realizes that he loves Sally, has to tell her now, breaks into a run to go tell her. It's very New York centric in this one because he's like, tries to catch a cab, and of course he can't. So then he's just like, he's just going to run the entire distance. David Kestenbaum has our real life version of this story about a guy named Steve Snyder. The thought that someone actually made one of these runs in real life seemed so unlikely to me that I wanted to see where it had happened, retrace the steps of it. So I met Steve where the run began, at this burger place on Ludlow Street in New York City. Steve is the kind of guy who is not very good at hiding his feelings. Like if this were a movie, you could title it, Say Everything. The setup to the run is this. He'd met this woman, Emily, at a birthday party. He was totally smitten.
2: What I remember is The party kind of turned into sort of a tunnel vision moment. All I really did was talk to her. It didn't go great. He kept asking her,
1: you want to go to a movie? Maybe we could hang out sometime.
2: If there's a trajectory of my life, it's going from clingy to a little less clingy. Steve emailed her after the party. Nothing came of it.
1: A year passes. And just like in When Harry Met Sally, they meet a second time. In Steve and Emily's case, it's at the very same birthday party, same apartment, and they become friends. It was the kind of friendship where, really, it could go either way. She seemed kind of interested in something more, but maybe not enough. And the longer they were friends, it was like, well, maybe that's what they were. Steve had a job as a film critic, so they would go to movies, lots of movies, where they would not hold hands and not kiss.
2: There, there is a pathetic moment so Lincoln Center Station we're waiting for the train it's like some crazy 20 minute wait where the words actually come out of my mouth you know hey if you ever want a film critic as a boyfriend you just let me know <laughs> I, think. I think we were talking about it fit into the context of the conversation somehow but I can't think of anything more pathetic totally. so
1: what was her reaction
2: she just kind of laughed and was like yeah okay okay <laughs>
1: The run happened on a night where they were not going to hang out. Steve thinks he was working on a review of some mutant ninja turtle movie. And after work, he goes out with
2: some friends to a music place. Music's so loud, and it's kind of fun. You know, it's a great night, and we're dancing. I actually started dancing for once. We leave the place. We're going to go get some greasy food because we're hungry and we haven't eaten. And I have my bag and everything. So we walk into the burger joint.
1: The place we are sitting in right now. Greasy spoon, tiled white walls, and
2: painted brick. It's like a piece of a subway station that's somehow above ground. You know, there's what, five tables here? It's tiny. And so I remember just kind of throwing my bag down and and then I pull out my phone just to check and it's one of those weird nights, right? Like, I just haven't checked my phone almost any night. Any night. 99% of nights you know, your phone's right next to you. If it's buzzing you hear it. If, it's, you're, if it rings, you hear it. I don't know if I had bad reception in the place because it's kind of an older building. But I look down that I swear to God I have like 22 text messages. <laughs> and I'm I'm like, what? And they're all from Emily. And so I run out of the burger place to the street. Wait, let's go outside. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, so you rush out here. I rush out here, and there's not exactly a lot of room. I mean, there's, there's not room at all. So this is a crowded, like, this is where you hang out till 4 a.m. So I rush out and I, I start reading through the messages. And it starts very kind of innocently, very, like, hey, what are you up to tonight? Oh, are you, oh, maybe you're out? Uh, I was wondering if maybe you wanted to, like, get a drink or something. And then, and then it starts escalating, like, wait, are you, are you not texting me? Or why aren't you texting me back?
1: Usually he was pretty quick at getting back to her
2: because I was totally into her. Um, And then it started being like... It started getting a little more paranoid, and then I think she started thinking I was on a date or something. In just two
1: hours, it looked like she'd gone through all these phases. Everything laid out in all these texts, ending with one that Steve was not expecting.
2: The last text message said, maybe we need to talk about this whole not dating thing. I, I just... I, I thought, like, this is, this is it. Like, whatever's, whatever's about to happen, like, this is the moment. And so I immediately called her. I immediately just hit dial. I didn't quite know what I was going to say. And I think she picked up the phone, said hello, and I just kind of started going into it. Like, I don't know what, what to say here. Like, yes, I, I want to date you. And what have we been doing? You know, I, I'm, like, s- screaming in the street the cars aren't moving, people stop walking by me. They just stop to see, like, what's going on here, because I'm screaming, like, I love you. I don't know how to be clear. Like, I love you. And so I'm screaming this, and this crowd is starting to cheer me on. Someone does yell, like, say you love him! Like, say you love him! Yelling to her through the phone, and... I love New York. (laughs) And... All I remember her saying, and it might have been all that she did say, was, you know, like, you need to stop yelling. If you want to talk about this, you might as well just come here. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the moment, like, it's on, like, this is happening. And I just start running down the street looking for cabs. Let's run. Let's run. Okay. (laughs) So I start running. We are now
1: jogging up Ludlow Street. It's actually kind of exciting.
2: The crowd the crowd's looking at me uh wondering what the hell i'm doing and literally i'm like banging on every cab because it's that time of night where some where some are just saying they're off duty so i think i i hit a couple and i'm sort of like can you take me just just up to the east village not that far
1: but taxi after taxi is like no or there's someone in it so he keeps running
2: like i didn't tell my friends where i was going i left my laptop all these screeners that i had taken assignments to review that the movie studios told me they needed back. Uh, I ditched everything.
1: Can we talk about the running? Yeah. Why does love always involve running?
2: <laughs> that is interesting. Why did I feel like I had to run?
1: In the movies they run, but usually it's because someone's about to get married or about to get on a plane. Like,
2: It felt very urgent to get there very quick. This had been building up for years. And for a moment she was willing to consider it. And I was going to get there before she said it was too late or she was too tired. Steve told me he'd been living in the friend universe for so long. And
1: now it was like this little wormhole had opened up. He didn't know for how long, where he might be able to slip into the parallel universe of boyfriend. Steve did eventually get a taxi, made it to her apartment, and he stayed over. And they did become boyfriend and girlfriend. In the movies, this is often the final scene. The end of the movie is the beginning of the relationship. You don't really get to see how it goes, how he gets too clingy, one of them meets someone else, how it just fades. But that is not this story.
2: We got married, uh, <laughs> and now we have two kids, and I still can't believe it's all played out the way it did.
1: I know things don't always work out in the end, but sometimes you just want to hear the ones that.
0: HelloFresh is the worst company to try to do business with. Now, I know a lot of other podcasters are going to be out there telling you about how convenient it is and how the food just shows up on your doorstep. You don't have to go grocery shopping. Plus, you don't even have to be a good cook. The directions are all there for you. That's not true. Plus, it's too expensive. You know how other podcasts are able to give you offer codes for $90 off? Because there's more than $90 to spend. HelloFresh isn't losing anything on that. For two people, it costs $80 a week. $80 a week, can you believe that? $69.99 on the website, but $80 a week with tax and shipping. Plus, that fresh food is gonna show up on your doorstep every Tuesday. Three meals worth of fresh food just sitting on your doorstep. Food that you have to cook within a couple of days or it goes bad. Now, can you swear to God? Can you swear before God and everybody that your entire family is gonna be home at the same time at least three nights a week? Of course you can't, nobody can make that promise. So what's gonna happen? All that food is just gonna go bad in your fridge. It's just gonna sit there and rot and then guess what? Ding dong, it's Tuesday and HelloFresh is on your doorstep. Once again, can you do this? Are you ready for this? Are you ready to make that kind of commitment? Well, don't think about canceling because you can't cancel until you can get somebody on the phone. Monday through Friday, working business hours, Eastern Standard Time. Now, this is not a real podcast, so I can't give you an offer code. But even if I could, I wouldn't, my friend. I would never do that to you because I love you. HelloFresh. Don't even think about it. Welcome back. And as promised, it is tea time. And I promise this time it's very, very spicy. It's fresh and pain, and hot. Here comes Jen with the tea she's got welcome back and today we do have some very spicy celebrity is <laughs> really corny i promise i'll never do that again we have some celebrity tea uh today and who it is regarding is ilaria baldwin now if you don't know who she is she is the much younger wife of alec baldwin um now there's just been very little said about her in the past um Ireland Baldwin, uh, who is the daughter of Alec and Kim Basinger, um, she mentioned Ilaria in her Comedy Central roast. If you remember Ireland, uh, she is the recipient of the now notorious voicemail that Alec Baldwin left her, the one where he called her like a pig and disgusting and all that horrible stuff. Well, she mentioned in her Comedy Central roast, no, Alec Baldwin's Comedy Central roast, She actually gave a roast and if you have the opportunity to watch it and you haven't watched it yet, wow, I, I recommend it because it is, it is intense. It is a roasting, it is a deep frying, (laughs) Um, but she mentions Hilaria as, you know, she's very close to, if not older than, you know, close to in age, Hilaria. So what do we know about her? She uh, used to be a yoga instructor. Um and she's very much in shape, she's very physically fit um she comes from Mallorca, Spain, as we're told um she seemed when she first started dating Alec Baldwin very hesitant to step into any kind of limelight, any kind of like celebrity and then we started to notice that she was getting like a lot of attention, especially on her instagram. She's like I said a yoga instructor, so she's very into you know doing her poses on instagram um and All of a sudden, she wrote a couple cookbooks. Now she has a podcast. Uh, She's that new brand of celebrity, like the celebrity adjacent celebrity, you know, (laughs) like the person who didn't really do anything, but they're close to a celebrity. So now they're famous. Um, And, you know, so like I said, she's she's a really beautiful, very attractive uh, Spanish woman. Um, She's very much into, you know, keeping fit. And being an inspiration in that. Um, and she's married to Alex. So I'm just going to play a couple of audio clips for you. Um, she did a cooking segment on um, the Today Show a couple of years ago. And here she is explaining all of the ingredients of what she's cooking.
1: We have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say Cucumbers. Cucumbers. We have um, red pepper. We have, of
2: course, the
0: Okay, so as you heard there, like I said, you know, she's Spanish. Um, she just seemed to adorably forget how to say the word cucumber um, <laughs> in English, even though I'm pretty sure that, um, and I don't know, I don't speak Spanish, not very well, uh, but I, I do think that the the Spanish word for cucumber is cucumber. But who am I? Nobody. That's who. Uh, here's another audio clip from another morning show where she's talking about how Alec Baldwin proposed to her.
1: Was it planned out or did you, how did it, I mean, did he pop, like, how did it happen? Well, he took me out to Montauk and he said that was as close as he could get to Spain, to my family and to Rome because we really like Rome as well.
0: So there she, like I said, she's talking about how he proposed, he proposed in Montauk because it's very close to her family. It's not close by the way. And it's Montauk. She pronounced it Montauk. Um, and, uh, it's as close as they could get to Spain and Rome. There is just something a little bit dubious in that information. Not that I think that she's lying, but it's just a little odd to me that like a multi, multi-million dollar celebrity like Alec Baldwin couldn't, you know, afford to take her to Spain to propose to her. But once again... Who am I? I am nobody. That's who. Something interesting started to happen, though. And about two years ago, maybe it was about a year ago, um, Ilaria did uh, this wonderful, um, it's just another appearance on a morning show. She seems to really like that morning show circuit. She was talking to the host of the show about. Baldwin
1: is one busy mama. She and her
2: husband Alec Baldwin have four kids. She's
0: talking about how she just had four kids, as you could hear from the beginning of that quote. She's um, and she's there and she's talking about you know how she keeps in shape. Listen to this audio clip. The age of five, oh, no lie. Sweat. She's also an author and recently graced the cover of Parents magazine. How cool is that? And today she's going to show us how she looks this good after giving birth two months ago today. With yoga moves, that'll give you a
2: boost. Hi. Hello. First of all, we were in a little bit of shock when we saw you because we're like, 10 weeks, let's see how she looks. <laughs> this is a wow. Did, was, did it come easy? Was it lots of work?
1: It's not, it's not easy. I and mean, I think part of it is that I'm in shape before I have a baby. Yeah, yeah. And then I stay active when I'm pregnant. Yeah. And you know, I'm not trying to stay thin. I'm just trying to keep my circulation going and stuff.
0: So you'll notice that sounds like a completely different person, doesn't it? That doesn't even sound like the person that you heard in the first two audio clips. I can promise you, just having looked at it, that that, that is the person who, who was in the first two clips. <laughs> it really, really was. And, you know, but like I said, very interesting. Nobody seems to really notice. Nobody seems to let that take up any space. And then, okay. Okay. On the 21st of December at about 2 p.m., somebody uh, with a Twitter handle, (laughs) Lenny Briscoe, which is great, uh, tweeted, you have to admire Ilaria Baldwin's commitment to her decade-long grift where she impersonates a Spanish person. She's been called out. Okay. This tweet, of course, goes freaking viral so fast. Now we've got people from her high school reaching out, tweeting the same thing. Like, I've known her for decades. Um, She's a lovely person, but she is, in fact, a white girl. Okay, so this is bizarre. Now that we've realized that this is a decade long thing, she's been posing with this accent for 10 years now. This is not something that I planned to do because um, I actually had all of those clips on deck, but I really want you to hear what happens after we find out about her accent. So like I said, people are calling her out left and right, talking about her. Now other people called her out as well, not having to do with that accent. One of them famously is Amy Schumer, who you and I both despise, but um like, Amy Schumer is calling her out about some post that she had where, um, where you know, she was dressed up in, like, all lingerie doing a yoga pose while holding her baby, and um, the baby's head isn't supported. It's a really messed up picture. Um, and then Amy Schumer came back and apologized and was just like, I shouldn't be, you know, like, calling out other women or whatever. So so okay I'm actually trying to find it that's what's giving me the um the thing is that uh the people from Massachusetts that are calling her out are people that she went to high school with and we find out now that she doesn't come from Mallorca Spain and her name isn't Ilaria. her name is Hillary Hayward Thomas and she does come from Massachusetts And it's not like, oh, like maybe she was born in Spain and maybe, you know, they they lived there for like a long time or maybe her parents are Spanish. You know, that's possible. Her parents are not Spanish. She was born and raised in Massachusetts. Her father is a tenured professor in, uh, in a, a college that is in Massachusetts. Her mother is also um, somebody who has lived in Massachusetts for her entire life and comes from a very long line of people um, who have lived in Massachusetts. So now it just really feels really weird. She went to a private school in Massachusetts. There's really no reason for her to have this accent I'm really trying to find it. Oh, here it is. Okay. So what do you do when you are like a celebrity or a celebrity adjacent celebrity, and you've been called out in public by all these people, including your classmates? What do you do? You disappear off of social media so you can quote unquote, spend time with your family, right? Of course, that's what she did for 36 hours. And then she came back and did an Instagram live. And I need you to hear this. oh no, it's gone. Oh, that sucks so bad. She actually deleted it. She says, hey guys, how are you? And she has absolutely no trace of an accent. She fully admits that she's a white woman from Massachusetts. And then she tries to explain away that fake accent by saying that she is bilingual. Sometimes she's speaking Spanish and the accent just comes out. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard of. And i the weird thing is, is that it's just kind of slipping under the rug. Like, it seems like nobody's really talking about it anymore. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now, but that's a really bizarre moment. And the person who's remained the most silent about it is Alec Baldwin. So I'm really, really interested to hear what he thinks, because in the beginning, he was completely defending his wife. There's a rumor going around that, you know, Alec Baldwin has always had a crush on Salma Hayek. I mean, who hasn't? 10 out of 10 would smash. And that she started doing the accent when he started going to her yoga class because he knew, because she knew that that was what he liked. And I don't know if that's yet to be proven, but... This is absolutely bizarre, and I will completely keep you posted. So, there you go. And that's a t- Well, that's the show and I really hope you enjoyed this very first episode of For by Jen of course this is the part where I have to name a bunch of names fortunately most of them are mine this show is produced by me this show is performed by me I do have to do a couple of thank yous number one to Out of Sight that's the band that did our jingle this week for I'll Drink to That um, of course This American Life with Ira Glass uh, David Kastenbaum who did the uh the piece uh, called The Run. You can find that on This American Life. I have to thank the Penguin Cafe Orchestra who wrote Perpetuo Mobile. That is the underscoring for the romantic comedy piece. And of course, I have to thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Tune in next time. And hey, just in case you're not Shay and you're a random somebody who found this podcast on the internet, you're welcome to stay. But the podcast is for Shay. So, If you feel left out, that's why. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next time. Bye.